Hi everyone, this is Tracy Fenton, founder of World Blue, and welcome to the Freedom at Work podcast. I'm here to teach you how to think with a freedom-centered mindset, thrive as a freedom-centered leader, and finally, how to build a freedom-centered culture for your team or workplace. This podcast is about answering one key question. How can you, as a leader, use freedom rather than fear to unleash the full potential of individuals, teams, and organizations in order to achieve breakthrough results and change the world for the better? If you want to explore the answers, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Great to be with you today. Today, we're exploring freedom at work at DeVita a Fortune 500 healthcare company based in Denver, Colorado, that calls itself a community first and company second, and is a World Blue certified freedom-centered organization, sustaining our prestigious certification every year since 2008. My guest today is Dave Herman, Chief Wisdom Officer, who leads the Wisdom Team, which includes the DeVita University and a program called the Wisdom Academy at DeVita. DeVita has about 65,000 teammates, as they call them, serving over 2,800 dialysis clinics across the U.S. and around the world in 11 countries. Dave has been with DeVita since 2003 and the Chief Wisdom Officer since 2015. We're lucky because this is Dave's last interview before he leaves DeVita for family and personal reasons and is moving from Colorado back to Tennessee. Great to have you with us, Dave. Yeah, thank you for having me, Tracy. I'm excited. Dave, I remember I had never heard of DeVita until I moved to Atlanta back in 2008. And I don't know if you know the story or not, but I went to a dinner party. I just moved to Atlanta. I was invited to a dinner party to meet some people. And I was talking with a young woman and she's like, what do you do? And I was telling her about World Blue and our work in Freedom at Work and Freedom Center Leadership. And she says, oh, that sounds exactly like how my company works. Uh, What's your company? I said, and she said, DeVita, we're a healthcare company. I'm like, I've never heard of you guys. So she goes, well, I'm going to pass your information on to my colleague at DeVita and maybe we'll apply for your certification and let's just see what happens. And I thought, okay, great. Like I'll never hear from anybody, you know, big fortune 500 company. Okay, sure. A week later, I heard back from Kelsey Rude who I believe you know and remember. And thus began this wonderful relationship that we've had with you all since 2008. So we've known each other a long time too. And it's just so great to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) So Dave, tell us big picture, DaVita. Tell us the DaVita story because it sure is a fun one. Yeah. So we were uh, basically functionally bankrupt back in 1999. It was prior to me getting to DaVita. The turnaround was really led by uh, just a few leaders, uh, Ken Theory, KT, Joe Mello, a guy named Doug Velchek, Yoda, we call him. <laughs> uh, just a bunch of leaders got together and said, we're not just going to turn this thing around. They were bankrupt and it's a dialysis organization, but they decided that they were going to approach the entire thing in a very democratic way, as you all talk about. And yeah. um, just the turnaround was way, way more than just a business thing for them. For them, it was a, a human thing. So DeVita, this really the story of DeVita comes from the kind of a rise, truly rising from the ashes, uh, not just from a business perspective and turning around uh, from going from bankrupt to very profitable, but also creating a very, very intentional culture. We do say we're a community, almost an intentional culture that revolves around being a community that people want to live in, being a place that people love to be and want to be and, and having people that are gathered that want to be with each other and we kind of have this philosophy that life's too short not to have a place that you really believe in and it believes in you. And so that's kind of the rise from the ashes start of the DeVita culture. I love that. And DeVita is a publicly traded company. What are your revenues yeah. at now? Uh, about $11 billion. So we're a big organization. $11 billion. People always say to me, Tracy, can you actually run a company based on democratic principles, a large company? And I said, the minute you have two or more people, it's possible and it's necessary and it's absolutely vital. I want to get into this more, but before we do, tell us what does a chief wisdom officer do? Because that's such a cool title. And whenever I tell people your title, they're 
eyebrows go up and go, I want that title. So what does the yeah, yeah, exactly. officer do? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. Well, okay. So um, before I get into that, you touched on something that's really important, right? Okay. Yeah. We're a large organization. And a lot of times leaders of organizations often think, well, we're getting too big, right? We're getting too big to do that stuff. We're getting too big to lead democratically. We're getting too big to blah, 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 right? Fill in the blank. And frankly, I was taught very early on when joining this thing that, you know what, it's infinitely replicable. I yes, mean, you, it is. you know, it has nothing yes. to do with size, right? It's, it's, right. This, this comes down to if enough leaders believe in it and lead a really intentional culture, it doesn't matter how big you are. The entire world can be democratic as long as each of the leaders of the organization believe in it or enough of them do. So, so I just want to touch on that. And that, that is a foundational belief we have because since I've been here in 2003, I mean, we have grown tremendously. We just have never let that stop us. We always said, if, as long as we have the bulk of leaders and teammates who believe in this thing, we can make it come true. So it's kind of cool. As far as chief wisdom officer goes, yeah, um, it's kind of a wacky title. Uh, there's a lot of companies that have chief learning officers, chief organizational development officers, that kind of thing, training and development officers. This was labeled or named before my time. I came into the wisdom team back in 2003 as we were kind of on this journey. But the reason we use the word wisdom instead of learning or training is that training and learning and those types of words more orient toward skill development, right? Which is important. You got to know how to do your job. But if you look up the word wisdom in the dictionary and just kind of think about the, the meaning of the word wisdom, it goes way beyond skills, right? It's about who we are. It's about finding meaning and purpose in our lives. And, and so we, the wisdom team, that's what we do, right? That's what we stand for is we stand for something beyond just teaching skills to leaders or teaching people their jobs. What we want to do is we want to create human beings that are better human beings, right? We want to help them in their lives with their families. We want them to be happier, more fulfilled, more purpose-driven people so that, of course, they're going to give back to the village or the community in more meaningful ways. And so we, the wisdom team, that's what we work on. We work on transforming people's lives and teaching them something about themselves that they didn't know before. And that's why I'm the chief wisdom officer and not the chief learning officer, if that makes sense. And that's so cool because we all know we're surrounded by information, but what we really need is some wisdom <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah, right, you know, right. We need a lot of wisdom. And I've been blessed having known you all and worked with you all since 2008. I've gone and I've been, in, I've sat through your trainings. You guys have been wonderful enough to invite me and I've sat through many of your culture trainings and that focus and wisdom, we'll come back to that more. I've experienced it firsthand in the village and you do call yourselves a village. It's not a company, it's the DaVita village, which further shows this community spirit. And I wanna go back to your point, which I'm really glad you made about the fact that you just decide, you decide to be democratic and you stick with it. And the reality is democracy is scalable. When you understand what the principles of democracy are, you can scale them infinitely. I think the biggest company we've worked with to date has had over 100,000 employees, but there's no cap on it when you understand how to do it. And you all have done that. You've captured both the spirit as well as the design of how you do it. And I think nothing illustrates that better than this pandemic we're in with COVID. Talk with us about that. How has DaVita handled COVID and how has your freedom-centered and democratic structure and leadership style helped with the situation? Well, it's been really interesting. The best way I could describe it, the metaphor I've been using with the team and the teammates out there is that it's kind of like we're driving in the fog. We had this very clear vision, right? We've been cruising along on autopilot and looking at things 2021, 2022. What are the big things we're going to do with our culture? And what are the things we're going to do and making sure that we, we remain a democratic community and all that kind of stuff? And then all of a sudden, we got to take our foot off the gas pedal and put it on the brake a little bit. We had to really slow down. And, and it's almost like the fog set in. And now we, what do you do when you drive in the fog? Well, you get a little nervous. Yeah, uh, which you know, I know a lot of teammates are uh, nervous, right? Because we just can't see out there in front and and right. see as far into the future, right? We're we're looking down more. We're not looking way out in the road. We're looking down in the road and just staying between the lines. And so, what we had to do is kind of immediately shift into how can we help you today mode, right? We're not looking way out. How can we help you a year from now? So, the democracy came in literally immediately. What we did was. We could very easily, as a, as a leadership and executive team, we could have very easily said, hey, we're going to solve this. No problem. We're there for you. We're going to come up with a bunch of programs and things to help you. And come on, caregivers, you got this. And just cheer them on. 
But instead of just creating kind of that encouragement mentality for what we thought was necessary, we immediately went out to the people. And we did that in a bunch of different ways. Number one, Javier Rodriguez, our CEO, immediately set up two calls per week with the entire company. We call them voice of the village calls. And he just said, instead of doing those once every six to eight weeks, we're going to have two a week. And we're going to stay on that line as long as it takes to get through all of the questions that we have. And in some cases, that call would last an hour and a half, but mm. that leadership team stayed on that call and said, we are going to answer all these questions in the queue. And if, and if we couldn't get to everything, we would set up a way to get to all the questions. So, so just immediately saying, look, tell us what you're worried about. Tell us about your fears. Tell us about your concerns about the spread of this thing and your safety. And tell us what ideas you have that are going to help you get through this. So instead of us kind of thinking we knew the answer, democracy kind of has you eat your ego sometimes. Yes, it does. You know, we didn't, you know, right. We, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to do just because you, I think leaders sometimes think they're supposed to have all the answers. And, and so the beauty of democracy is you don't have to have the answers. You just have to be a great listener and then execute on what the people tell you they need. And so that's what we did. We kicked it off right away with that. We went out and did focus groups. We did phone calls. We picked up the phone and called facility managers. We have 2,800 some odd clinics across the country and across the world. And you know, we talked to some of those clinic managers and said, tell us what's going on and how we can help. And then we, we would build off of that. And, and I can go into some of the things that we built, but the please bottom do. line yeah. is we built around. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. yeah so, please. so the first thing they said is, hey, we need single places to go for information. We can't be getting 100 emails a day. We need one email a day. And we just need to know the critical things we need to know. So we immediately created a communications team that would filter all communications. So even if I wanted to, I couldn't send a message out to the whole village. <laughs> I need to go through that communications team who would say, okay, what's the most pertinent stuff that the leaders need to know right now? And let's get them that. So we developed that. We developed a single website. Um, we have a COVID website, and, and it then has a branch off called Village Strong. We do call ourselves a, a village, a community. Yeah. And so we have this now Village Strong website, right? And it's it has everything from stories to pictures to videos to resources, tools. There are podcasts that are on there about resiliency. How do you maintain your resilience as a caregiver through these difficult times? There are micro learnings in there about uh, leading during crisis and how do you stay calm and keep your people calm? How do you deal with fear and loss? How do you deal with the change? How do you deal with loss of control? Um, how do we bring mindfulness practices in? So we have micro learnings and video learnings on mindfulness practices and breathing. There's people that are overwhelmed with over commitment right now between their family and having to decide between family and working all kinds of hours with patients. So we've got micro learnings on those types of things. So there's, there's a bunch of resources basically out there, webinars, virtual communities that we have gratitudes that any teammate can join that virtual community and express their gratitudes for the day to try to get them, you know, growth and positive mindset. We also did a bunch of, frankly, financial things. We created what's called a Village Lives Award, where the hardworking families of our teammates out there, they would get an extra $100 per week in their paychecks to, mm -hmm. to help them through this because some of their family members were losing their jobs. We have the Davida Village Network, which is a literally a program that's created to help teammates in need. So if a teammate came down with COVID and couldn't work, we have teammates that are donating money to those folks. They're donating PTO or, or vacation hours to those folks. Mm -hmm. So the village, the community really was able to come together in just beautiful ways, volunteering in those hot spots where things were bad. We sent out physical gifts, uh, appreciation packages to every single clinic with signs and snacks and, and vouchers for food and four distant signs of lotion. I mean, kind of the craziest things, right? We heard from our teammates and they said, can you just send us really good hand lotion? Our hands are killing us <laughs> from having to wash our hands, you know, right. 20 times a day. And right. so just doing those types of gestures that said, listen, it's heartbreaking what's happening. It's so hard. We know you're scared. We know that you're working all kinds of hours. We know that it's tough and we're here for you, right? And we just constantly reminding social media hashtags and things like that, just trying to remind our teammates as much as we possibly can. We're here for you. We get that this is a strain on you mentally, socially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and we want to be here in all aspects of your life. So we were able to pull all that stuff together very, very quickly. Like I said, instead of looking to 2021, 
within a couple of weeks, we had these tools built and out there and ready to go. So we had to just kind of look down at the road right in front of us and say, what can we do today and tomorrow instead of what can we do next year? So it's, it's been a lot of work, but so, so rewarding. I'm so proud of my team and, and the teammates out there, the caregivers that are working so hard and our team that's been just beautifully supportive to them. Incredibly inspiring. So many companies, Dave, as you know, it's hard for leaders to see past the fear, let alone yeah. be able to help their employees pass the fear. Mm-hmm. How do you handle the intense fear that people can often feel in uncertainty when you're a leader? What advice would you give to the leaders listening to this podcast going, I'm in the fog and I love your analogy. You're, you do, you just kind of stare at the road, but that's what it does. It makes it very myopic. But what advice or guidance would you give to them in leading their teams to help people yeah. work through the fear? Yeah, what a, what a wonderful question because I've seen some leaders do this beautifully well and then I've seen others that are just so struggling with it and, yeah. and it's just a critical thing to deal with. So thanks for asking this. Yeah. Number one is the leader has to understand that they're in the car with their team, right? And they're the ones with their hands clenched around the wheel. <laughs> and so sometimes leaders have to be reminded, it's okay that you are in fear. So the first thing I always say is just point inward and start working with yourself first. You yeah. know, before you try to tackle the team and, and be strong and buck up campers, we can do this, you know, all that kind of mm-hmm. talk. It's first, take a look inside and be very real with yourself. What scares you right now? What are you afraid of? What's the uncertainty that scares you and all those types of things? And then decide what's worthy of sharing with your team. What can you share with your team without freaking them out? You don't want to be so afraid that you can't even look up from the steering wheel that you're just shaking, you're staring straight ahead at the road. Sometimes you got to slow down, pull over and talk to your team. And you've got to be able to say, hey, team, I'm driving with you here. Here's what I can tell you. Here's what I can't tell you. And here's where some of my fears and and worries are. And here's what I'm doing to deal with it, right? And here are my practices. Here's what I'm going to do to make sure that I stay strong for you and that I'm here to help you. And so I tell leaders, be honest with yourself, be authentic with yourself, and then tell your team, tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly, just express. Because if you want your team to be real with you, you've got to be real with your team. And so, you know, I was very honest with my team up front. I said, look, I'm probably in the same boat you all are. We don't know what the future holds. This is going to probably impact a bunch of our, the way that we do our jobs and all that kind of stuff. And and I'm going to, all along the road, I'm going to tell you what I can tell you as soon as I can. There's some stuff I just don't know. I'm in this with you. If you ever need to talk, I'm here to talk. And if you're afraid of something, you can tell me about it because I'm here to listen. And so not trying to solve the problem and the fear for them, mm-hmm. but to be a listener and have them really understand the reality of it. And then I think part two on this, what I've seen has really worked for a lot of the leaders that are effective at this, is to then talk their people through what you have control over now. What we often do is say, oh my gosh, this COVID thing, what if I this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if the company stops doing this culture stuff? Or what if I don't have a job in the future? It's very easy to get in the trap of worrying and having a bunch of fear about a bunch of stuff that you have absolutely no control over. And so what I do and what we've been doing with a lot of leaders and teams is just saying, okay, draw a circle on a piece of paper and write everything that you have control over right now inside the circle. And then outside of the circle, write all the stuff you're worried about that you don't have control over. And then let's just stare at that list. Right. And what's one thing, right? Just pick one thing that's inside that circle that you have control over that you want to change and you want to do. Uh, And it could be as simple as, you know what? I'm more in worry today than I am in gratitude. Okay, great. So maybe there's something every morning that you can wake up and do and just think of one thing you're grateful for. That's something you have control over. So it seems like the simplest things are actually having a big impact in our village because teammates just look, it's not a bad thing. We are naturally geared to protect ourselves. So, mm-hmm. so in this world of COVID and uncertainty, people are wired to keep themselves safe. So it's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. It's just people are doing what their brains are wired to do, which is I should be worried. I should be worried about my job. I should be worried about my family. I should worry about my health. Yes, get it. Absolutely get it. That's what you're wired to do is keep yourself safe. And how are you going to get yourself beyond that? right? You know, you need some part of the day where you're getting beyond just that reactive fear and moving toward 
working with the fear and making it work for you and getting yourself to a place of positive and growth mindset and that kind of thing. So that's kind of what we're doing to get people through the fear is just simply talking about it, right? And and we're starting with the leaders. Leaders, we want you to process your what you're going through. And then, hey, we want you to help us lead your teams. Well, it's so inspiring because gone are the days, right? Of the stoic leader who's got their emotions under control and isn't authentic and isn't open. And and of course there is a balance, right? We're not saying you need to like sure. blather on and on. But it's that authentic <laughs> sharing. And the three pillars of the Freedom at Work leadership model that we teach are mindset, leadership, and design. And we're going to touch on all three of these, but really we're segueing into mindset here because what mm-hmm. I hear you saying, Dave, is it's about the mindset of your fellow teammates. It's about the mindset of the leaders. It's about the mindset of each one of us. Are we choosing freedom and possibility or are we choosing fear? Are we choosing to be authentic and work it through together? Or are we just sort of frozen in the closet, <laughs> in the fetal position? Yeah, exactly. You know, what are, what exactly. are we doing? And I think that's a big part of a freedom-centered culture like at DeVita is you have created a place of psychological safety right? Where people can feel that they can express themselves authentically without feeling like they're going to be penalized. Because I think there's a lot of companies where people feel like, yeah, if I showed my emotions, guess what? People are going to think of me. What do you think about that? Yeah, exactly. You know, we have a, what we built, it's funny you say the place of safety to admit this. We actually put on the top front of our website, it says, not okay, question mark. It's okay. So in other words, look, if you're not okay, it is totally okay not to feel okay right now. So immediately we want people to know that this is a safe place for you to express that. Your choices and your behaviors and all that kind of stuff, yeah, you've got to come to terms with it. And you can't be a a negative force out there uh, that, hey, I'm not okay, so I'm going to make it not okay for everybody else. Right. Uh, But at the same time, again, what we're having people understand is, listen, there are lots of tools and resources that we're going to provide for you, but you have to feel okay to go take advantage of those, right? We could build all the great tools and support possibilities that we can. We could have hundreds of, of great tools and programs, but if people don't feel safe in using them or feel like they're going to get put on a list, you know, if I sign up for that webinar, you're going to have my name and then I'm going to be the first one to go later. That's not a good intention, obviously. And, you know, I'm just right. stating the obvious, but that's part of it is you have to be, you don't have to just do that, but you have to be very proactive in telling people that you're doing that, right? So it's not just about it being a safe place in your organization, but make sure people know it's a safe place and then proactively remind them every time you talk to them. If you're not okay, it's okay. I'm going to say it again. If you're not okay, it's okay. We repeat this stuff over and over again because we want people to believe it. Right. And the fact is, you all have this Freedom Center culture already established. So that when giant things blow up like a pandemic, (laughs) it just never Mm -hmm, really happened in the history of the world or on this level, you're prepared because you already have that trust. You already have a culture that works this way. And I want to segue into a little bit deeper of the mindset in DaVita. Tell us about why DaVita calls itself a community first and a company second. That is not what you hear other Fortune 500 publicly traded companies say, that we're a community first and a company second. What does that mean in the DaVita ethos? Yeah, yeah, great. We do say these kind of weird things and from the outside looking in, frankly, when I joined right back in 2003, I heard some of these sayings cropping up and I thought, what in the heck are they talking about? And then I very quickly started to hear the logic and understand what this meant. And that is that every company, every organization, every team you've been on, every community event, the church that you go to, all of these social gatherings and social places and teams have a culture. It's not like some do and some don't. They all have a culture. And there's certain norms and things that happen, beliefs and boundaries and things that are accepted or reinforced and habits that drive the collective culture of that organization. And that's either happening in a very intentional way or it's happening in a very unintentional way. And and in a lot of organizations and teams and community involvement, things I've done, it just happens. And then you just accept whether you want to be part of that and belong to that, or you don't. All of us have a choice of those types of cultures that we want to belong to. And it's funny because it plays a way bigger role than we ever give it credit for. Everybody that's listening to this podcast has probably been part of a team or a community or a club or a study group or something that they felt like they didn't belong or something was wrong and they they couldn't wait to get away from it, right? We've all been there. 
but we always called it like just something that we just, we didn't like, but really what it was, was it was culture. The culture of that thing didn't work for them. Well, for us, this whole idea of a community, we set out and we said, look, we want to be super intentional about the culture, what it's like to be part of this thing called DeVita. And what we decided was we want to be, feel like a community more than it feels like a company. Companies make great financial decisions. It's work. You commute, you come to work, you're on a team that has a purpose, and then you go home at night and that's the end of it. And what we said was that's not how a community works, right? If you think about it, think about the best neighborhood you ever lived in, Tracy, right? You think about mm-hmm. it back to that neighborhood or, or community yeah. you were part of, right? Chances are what that community was like, if it was one of your favorites, It means that that community was a place where you couldn't wait to get home, that you smiled and waved to your neighbors, that you gathered socially because you couldn't wait to be with people, that when something bad happened to one of the neighbors, the entire community would come to see what they could do to help out. And it was a place that probably also moved you forward in your life. My favorite neighborhoods and communities. Yeah, it wasn't about the buildings and it wasn't about the financial Situation. Of course, the financials are important in the community. You have to have parks and police forces and things like that. It was a safe place to live. But what really made it special were the people, were the relationships, were the fact that people truly, truly cared for each other. And that was the fundamental of what we set out to do. We wanted to create a place that felt more like that, more like a community where people are there for each other, a community where people truly care for each other. When I took over as chief wisdom officer, my my vision was that I wanted to make sure that I was creating a place that people looked back on, even if they left DeVita, but they would look back on and say, that was, you know what, that was one of the best communities I ever lived in. I think back at my time there, this was a place of differential levels of caring. And so that's what I hope that I've done while I've been here. And ultimately, that's kind of the idea behind the community. Well, I know you have done it. Having been in your offices so many times at your village-wide events, meeting so many of the teammates, I remember when you all moved your headquarters from LA to Denver, and then we partnered up in 2013 and did our Freedom at Work Summit in Denver, people got to come and tour the DeVita headquarters. And I remember touring it. It's incredible. And I would encourage any of our listeners, if you can do a tour once we can all go back to our offices, go see DeVita and the way they incorporate all of this into how they work. But I remember going by KT's office. KT was your visionary CEO, who's now chairman, and Javier is your, is your CEO. But he didn't call himself CEO, did he? He called himself the mayor right? Because right, if you're a community right, first, you're the mayor. And I remember walking by his office and it was a, a sliding door, glass door. And all over the door was a million different post-it notes where people had written little notes to KT thanking him for being mm-hmm. such yeah. a great mayor. I mean, that just, I mean, I'd never seen that anywhere. That was so inspiring yeah. <laughs> to see. It's like, <laughs> that's a community first, a company a second. And it permeates the entire organization. And my goodness, can you imagine if more publicly traded Fortune 500 companies took this kind of approach of thinking of themselves and their fellow employees and teammates, as you call them, as a community first and a company second. I don't think people would feel so resentful and burned by corporations quite as much if there was that ethos. doesn't mean we're perfect, right? But I don't think they'd feel quite that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think of a community, right, the mayor term, and now Javier is now our mayor. He's yes, yes. taken on that name and he's getting more and more comfortable saying it because the realization for all of us has been, look, when you call yourself the mayor, it sounds weird to people outside, we know. But if you call yourself the mayor, it's that constant reminder that I'm only here if the people continue to believe in me as their leader, right? They're voting me in as their leader, right? You know, the very definition of leadership is that you have followers. And Mm -hmm. so, you -hmm. know, if nobody's following you as a leader, you're not going to be re-elected as the mayor. And so the beauty of that is that is just democracy at work 101, right? It's just, you know, look, all of us as leaders should see ourselves as elected by the people that we are serving them. And as soon as the people in a democracy, any healthy democracy or community, as soon as the community decides that the leaders of that community are not doing good by them, they vote somebody else in. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be in a company is that the company should look at their leaders and say, is this somebody I want to willingly follow? Is this somebody I love following? And if it's not, then 
that leader's probably not going to last that long anyway. So that's how we see that. Yeah. Well, and the whole community first, company second ethos, you guys capture with an incredible symbol, which is a bridge. When KT first started taking DaVita down this road, when previously you were called Total Renal Care, awesome name, <laughs> out of bankruptcy, <laughs> exactly. he created a symbol of a bridge or created an actual bridge and said, and tell me if I got this wrong, but my understanding is, hey, this kind of way of working isn't for everyone. But if you're in and if you're willing to let go of the old fear-based culture and come on over to the other side, right? And operate this way as a community first and a company second. If you're willing in your heart of hearts to do that, then symbolically walk over the bridge. And let's, let's recognize that and let's honor that. And I remember going to one of your village-wide events, which brings together what is it, 3,000 of your top leaders from across Davida, and that you had the bridge on the stage. And I got up and I got to walk across that bridge. And I'll tell you, when I stood on that bridge, I got tears in my eyes because I could feel the spirit of what Davida stands for and this ethos and, and this just higher standard of how we can run and operate our businesses as leaders. And, and you all have, have done that so well, but Boy, that bridge, that just means so much to me Whenever every time I see that DeVita bridge. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, yeah, well, it still means a lot to me too. And by the way, yeah. uh, it's very cool that you were emotional when you crossed it. I, yeah. Every time I get on stage to speak to our teammates, no matter how big the crowd is, if there's a bridge on stage, I cross it. It's that constant uh, commitment reminder of me that, look, I'm here. There's a saying that uh, a friend of DeVita, Jim Coos, has taught us a long time ago. Are you here for something to do or are you here to do something? And um, it's that constant symbol for us that says, look, it takes effort. Yes, you know, it it's does. not for everybody. And we yes. never have forced anybody or socially pressured anyone to cross the bridge, whether it be symbolically in their head or whether it be physically, uh, metaphorically on a real bridge somewhere in one of our offices. We right. have never, ever forced them. It's always choice, right? Because you can't force people to create community. You can't no. do it. Uh, citizens either want to show up at the polls and vote or they don't. Citizens either want to create a healthy community and go to the social parties that are happening in that community or they don't, right? And so the beauty is, is democracy is a choice. It's, mm-hmm. it's constantly a choice. And so we always look at it that way and say, this is never about forcing anybody. This is about presenting what we think is possible and allowing people to cross on their own to say, you know what, I want to help make this true. And it's not That's just right. crossing over the other side to be a part of it. It's crossing over the other side to be a citizen and help make it happen. And that takes effort and that takes commitment and that takes maybe an hour extra a week of work. There's very real dollars and cents and time commitments to this. It's not just a simply, okay, I want a special culture. It doesn't just happen that way. It's, it takes real, real life stuff, right? It, it takes me, for example, getting on the phone with one of my teammates uh, late at night because I'm worried about their family. And so I, I reach out and I call them and I say, hey, I heard what's going on, what's happening, and, and me reaching out to them. Well, that's a commitment. That's what creates a special place. That's what makes me a different leader than somebody else is because I really cared enough to pick up the phone and call them, right? That takes commitment. And, and that's what we mean by that symbol of the bridge. You know, if you really wanted to make it come true, I still call the question to leaders every time they ask me this question of, well, what's the really, what's the bridge mean to you? I often say at the end of every week, you should look back at that week and you should be able to tell me at least two to three things you did that week that prove that you're serious about the culture. And if you can't tell me you did, physically did two to three things that tell me that you were serious about the culture this week, you probably didn't help create a special place or a community culture. So that you constantly have to be calling that question to people. Sorry, that was kind of a rant, but no, I, I love, love the bridge symbol. Oh, I, lo- I know, right? It just evokes so much emotion and I'm totally with you. And that kind of segues into our second pillar of freedom at work, which is freedom-centered leadership. And you said something that my ears perked up on because I've always loved this about Davida too, which is, I remember KT saying this and I know it's throughout all of Davida. It's not just about being a renter. It's being a citizen. You use the word citizen. I think that's what you're getting at with the bridge and with all of these things is, again, and it isn't just who's at the top. It requires every single person in a Freedom Center organization has to step up, has to be a citizen and not just a renter. (laughs) What does that mean to the Davida community to be a citizen and not a renter? 
So I think I first heard yeah, that from Casey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's got a saying, uh, a quote, one of my faves, and I, I can't remember if KT coined this phrase, but no one washes a rental car. You right. know, it's just, right. Uh, exactly. it's that idea of ownership, right? It's just it's like that ownership mentality. Right. And that's what citizenship is. You can go into a country and not be a citizen of that country. And so therefore you don't really have a voice, right? And so when we look at citizenship at DeVito, we look at every single person having a voice. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your title is. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care if you're in finance or you are in operations or you're a care frontline caregiver or you're an executive. I don't, I don't care what you are and what you do here. But if you declare yourself a citizen of the community, your goal is to make that community a better place. And that means the little things that you do every day, living the mission and values, creating a healthy culture, truly caring about your fellow human beings, all those types of things. I really don't care what you're made up of and who you are. I, what I care about is, are you taking this idea of citizenship and ownership seriously? Are you doing the things that are going to make this a more healthy environment? And that's citizenship in democracy, right? That's what it's all about is if you're a citizen, you, you should speak up when things aren't fair or good. You should speak up when you have an idea that's going to better the community or better what the community does for patients, for example. You should be able to have a voice when you're being disrespected, for example, or something like that. And so, so the community is all about the democracy and the democracy is all about being a citizen, speaking up having a voice. You may not always get your way, but you should have a voice in that democracy. I love that. And so when we think about a democracy, you also sometimes have to deal with tough issues. And right now in our country, it's engulfing the world is the George Floyd situation, him being killed. We're seeing the race protests and peace marching and lots of different things uh, going on, not only in the U.S., but around the world, people standing for justice, for some of the core principles of democracy. I was on social media thinking and writing about this, fairness and dignity, accountability, integrity. These are all of the 10 core principles that we've identified you have to have to have democracy. And talk with us about race at DaVita. How have you all thought about this? Yeah, it's such an, a critical issue right now, especially, and it's mm-hmm. uh, and I am so sad for what's happening. I, mm. Honestly, I, it breaks awesome. my heart. Um, yes, it's yes. just yeah, it's so hard to to see it. Uh, the way that we look at it at Davida, and and the way that we've looked at it from almost the beginning, and it's. I think the language has morphed for us, and yet the spirit remains the same is probably the best way to describe it, is that, again, back to, let's go back to this idea of a healthy community. Mm-hmm. A healthy community is a place that accepts people, that everybody feels like they belong, that they never feel like they're an outsider. And we'll go back to my example of, I'm sure everybody listening, and I included, have been on teams and been on councils and been in community gatherings and things like that where I felt like I didn't belong. It is a terrible feeling. And we often just then end up avoiding those places. And we have always, always worked so hard to try to make DeVita and this village and this community a place where people feel like they belong. And that's from a race perspective. There needs to be the utmost feeling of belonging and respect for all races. There has to be a, an utmost respect and belonging feeling for gender and for choices that people make and personalities that people have and just different aspects of who people are. And I've always said that, you know, you know right away whether an organization has good intentions around that or they don't. And this yes. comes back to the same thing, right, with these other just like we talk about leadership 101 and what's happening in COVID, you've got to listen to the people. And so we have a, the name of our culture is called the DeVita Way. And we say that we care for each other with the same intensity with which we care for our patients. And when you talk about caring with intensity, there's no room for racial differences and disrespect and all this. There's no room for that. And we have zero tolerance for it. If you have a place of true caring with intensity. It means that you care for your fellow human beings as intensely as you care for your family and you care for your patients and you care for everybody else. And so we have a belonging council, a team. We, we called them for a while, Team Mosaic, you know, just kind of the mosaic of the world <laughs> and how every person is different and looking at people's differences and then getting out there and listening to teammates and saying, hey, where are we missing it? Where are we 
not showing up in a way and, and creating programs in a way that, that shows you the utmost respect and, and makes you feel like you belong no matter what it is that your, that your background is and those types of things. And so this belonging council pays attention to that. We look at it in every aspect of the things that we do. So, so we don't look at it, Tracy, as a separate program. I know a lot mm-hmm. of companies are coming out with diversity and belonging and inclusion programs and all that kind of stuff. And we're trying to embed it is the best way to describe it. We're trying not to make it a separate thing. We should be teaching that. leaders about their biases right off the bat, right? There's no, there's no program for bias and unconsciousness and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it should be built into, you better know who you are and what your beliefs are so that you know how you're coming across to your fellow men and your fellow women and your fellow teammates. And so that's kind of how we approach it. We ingrain it, embed it into everything we do. So that leaders know deeply their deeply held beliefs about this stuff, and then that they can then work with that. They can work with their limitations. They can catch themselves when they're not focused on belonging and not making people feel like they belong. And then they can catch themselves when they're doing a good job with it and and have open, authentic conversations with their teammates about it. Because it's just, it's such a crucial issue. It shouldn't be something that we can't talk about. It's got to be something that we can openly communicate about. Because if you can't, man, this stuff arises. It builds itself up in the background and it's just unfair to everybody involved. Well, I love that you use the word belonging. Like just saying that word, you feel hugged you know, <laughs> belonging. Yeah, it's yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I feel hugged when I say that we're belonging. <laughs> and I love, so I love that focus. And again, we, we live in a time, even before COVID, where we had to be so physically seemingly isolated, where loneliness is on the rise in Western society, right? More and more people are yes. feeling lonely and separated and isolated. And I think people are looking for their tribe. They're looking for a place where they can belong. And I think business and organizations, beyond civic organizations, but where we go to work every day and give at least a third of our time every day needs to be a place of belonging. And again, that is what democracy allows us to do. It should create that place where we are respecting each other as citizens and we do feel that sense of belonging. And so let's talk about that third pillar of freedom at work, which is the design of the organization. And of course, at World Blue, we teach the 10 principles of organizational democracy. One of those 10 principles is purpose and vision. And you touched on it for a moment, the DeVita way, Dave, but will you tell us a little bit more? Take us one level deeper into the DeVita way, because I think this is so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. yeah, part of the yeah, yeah. part of the structure is built around this concept of the Davida way. And then when people ask me, what's the culture like there? Mm-hmm. How do you guys do culture? I always answer and I say, well, we're just we're simply intentional and we're structured intentionally. And we're so intentional that we have a name for a culture and it's called the Davida way. We have a way of doing everything. And the Davida way means that we pursue our mission, we're living our values and we're building a healthy community, a village and that we care for each other with the same intensity with which we care for our patients. So that means that caring and love, and this is the only organization I've ever been, mm. I've ever been able to openly use the word, I love you as yes. teammates. I, it's yes. so fun to be able to do that. So wonderful. Uh, and all of that language, yeah, all of that language is very, very specific to what we're trying to build. So if you want to build everything around a particular intentionally cultural aspect, you've got to then declare what that aspect is. So our vision is to create this, the greatest healthcare community the world has ever seen. That's our vision of our organization. And you notice it doesn't say anything about our vision is to be the most profitable or our vision is to do X number of patients and growth and all that. Our vision is to create a healthcare community that is a role model for healthcare communities around the globe. And why? Does that mean we don't pay attention to profits? No, not at all. I mean, if you have a healthy community, you've got to pay attention to profits. The profits are what drive that economic engine is what drives the healthy community. So we're not, we're, we don't say we don't pay attention to profits or care about it. We absolutely do. And equally as intensely, we care about creating a really unique community. And so everything is now structured around that. Our language, our symbols, our department names, the way that we organize ourselves as leaders, all of that stuff is now developed around, well, we can literally ask ourselves, okay, in this big structural decision or process decision or operations decision, what would a healthy community do? We don't say what's best for the company and the, and the bottom line. And the, we ask that question. That's one of the questions we ask. But the other question we ask is, does this align with what a healthy community would do? 
And if we can say yes to that, then we're probably making the right decision by us, by DeVita. I love that. All of our leaders listening today to this podcast, you can go back today, whether you are leading a team or a company and start to think of yourselves and communicate in that community first, company second way, because we've got to have more businesses thinking this way. And like you said, this isn't Kumbaya. A healthy community has a healthy economic engine. You all have demonstrated that. Davida going from the edge of bankruptcy to an $11 billion company now in 11, 12 countries worldwide. You've demonstrated that. And that's what we find time and time again is companies that work this way are more profitable, are more successful to the bottom line. And they've created a place where people feel that sense of community. They feel that sense of belonging. Let me ask you this too, Dave. One of the principles of organizational democracy is decentralization. And one way decentralization can be practiced is through voting. And people often say to me, oh, you know, democracy in the workplace, does that mean everyone's voting on everything? Oh, it sounds so impractical and you can't really get anything done. But the reality is, yeah, you can vote and it can be a really good thing and it could be a really unifying thing. And I think you guys just had a, we're even just taking a vote related to COVID. Tell us about that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's never too late to start this stuff either. I'm glad you said that. You know, you can leave today after you listen to this podcast and just go do one thing that's democratically oriented. And it's amazing how people will show up differently. I think there's sometimes fear if you go out and do votes and you start to involve the organization. I think there's fear of not just the inefficiency of it, because it's like, oh my gosh, we're never going to make a decision if we're out there voting on everything, which is true, right? Sometimes you just have to make the call. Yeah. So there's a fear, I think, of the inefficiency, but there's also this fear of loss of control. Mm. Uh, And it's just not been true for us. It's just not. I mean, COVID. So COVID hits, right? The fog hits. And we immediately just kind of threw, put aside, I shouldn't say throw out. We, we put the, if we're driving the car, back to the driving car analysis analogy, we, we took the long-term goals and we put them in the trunk of the car for now, right? And we, <laughs> we're driving along with them, but they're in the trunk. Right now, we're worried about tomorrow's goals. But we immediately kicked the democratic uh, workplace right in again. And we went out and reached out and started talking to teammates and saying, okay, if you give us 100 ideas, there is no way we're going to execute on 100 ideas. So teammates, you tell us right? You tell us what the highest priority ideas are. What do you need help with today? What could you use help with next week? So the first thing we did is democratically get an orientation around that. And then we went out and did it, right? So then, then it's time for us to just decide and go. So there's, there's pieces of democracy that you can build into this where people say, you know what, we helped create that. We helped decide what the tools were that would be the first tools to be released based on what we said. We had a voice. So there are very quick and short ways to do this. Dave Mon, a senior vice president at DeVita, just last week or a couple of weeks ago, he sent out a, a very quick poll to all of the kind of corporate office, we call them neighborhoods, the mm-hmm. neighborhood teammates to say, hey, tell us how comfortable you are with coming back to the office. Do you want to come back? Do you want to come back with some precautions? Do you not want to come back yet? You don't feel safe? Very quick survey. And we got a very clear answer from the teammates who said, you know what? We don't feel safe coming in yet. Let's take a couple more weeks. It took very little time at all. The people spoke. The voice of the people was listened to. And then Dave went back and said, you know what? We've heard you. And it sounds like many of you feel like you can continue to work from home we're going to let you do that. We're going to slowly work toward getting back to the office on a, an as-needed basis. And we're going, to, we're going to respond to this in a way that makes sense for you, makes sense for the village. And so, you know, this stuff doesn't take that much time. It's not that inefficient. And you certainly don't lose control because you have ultimate power to make the call. Many times I'll send out something that has a voting and I'll say to the people of DeVita, I am collecting your input. I still have final say. I could still veto your vote, but I want you to vote so that I understand what you're thinking on this is. And most of the time I go with what the people think. And once in a while I say, you know what? Okay, this is really helpful. I see that we're kind of split down the middle. So here's the decision I'm going to make. And so democracy can work that way, right? If that makes sense. Totally, totally. It's not some big, hairy, crazy thing. (laughs) It's very normal. And by doing that, people, again, know my voice matters. My voice matters. My voice makes a difference. They feel that sense of ownership in their community. They feel that they truly are a citizen of their community. And so like you said, it's a constant everyday reinforcement. And you know what? If you're not reinforcing a freedom-centered and democratic environment, you're reinforcing something else. You're reinforcing a fear-based command and control environment. So, you know, listening to you talk, it's so inspiring. 
You're wrapping up a 17-year tenure at DaVita. What are you most proud of achieving at DaVita during your incredible time with this company, this community? First of all, so I just want to explain, I'm getting a little emotional because hearing you say those words, it's, um, this will be the last time I get to to say this. Uh, So, uh, wow. Um, So uh, I think that, the most proud I am is just of the teammates themselves, of the fact that I was able to serve all these years for people that I think are some of the most beautiful people on the planet. And then I was able to tell so many of these teammates, I love you. You know, I love you. I love you for who you are. I just want to help build a place that you feel like you belong and love, love working for. Honestly, I think the thing I'm just simply most proud of is that I've been able to serve those people in an authentic way. I don't lie about this stuff. I've never, I've never made stuff up just to sound good. I've always been just me. I've always been as completely authentic as, as I possibly could as a leader here because the people deserve that. They elected me as one of their leaders. And I can only hope, Tracy, that through these 17 years, I have touched their lives in some special way that they feel good and feel like they are a better human being because they have known me. And so I hope I have served the village in that, in that way. Well, I know you have. I know you absolutely have. And those ripples that you have created are touching people all over the world and will continue to ripple out and touch people all over the world because of the high standard of freedom-centered leadership operating democratically and the impact this has made on people's lives. So I hope you're going to write a book about this, my friend, because I would love to read your book. And I know our listeners would too. So we'll just plant that seed <laughs> once you get moved back to Tennessee, well, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a couple things I need to take care of before I even think about my future that way. But thank you for the seed. Seed is planted. Thank seed you. is that's planted. A, that is quite a, uh, yes, that is quite an honor for you to say that to me. Thank you. Well, it's true. And I just know that our listeners are so inspired as I am every time we get to talk, every time I get to walk into the the orbit of Davida. It's just a light and it's a light that our world needs to know about today, especially more than ever. So thank you, Dave, so much for being on the show with me. Deeply appreciated, my friend. I have enjoyed it. As always, Tracy, I love working with you. Every time we get together, you make me smile. You are the, just the brightest spirit I have ever known. And I just couldn't wait to do this, this show with you. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks everyone for tuning in to today's show on Freedom at Work. If you like what you heard and you're interested in finding out if you're a fit to work with World Blue, here's what I invite you to do next. Head on over to worldblue.com slash call. That's world and then blue without an E, B-L-U. And book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and explore how to help you develop a freedom-centered mindset, thrive as a freedom-centered leader, or build a freedom-centered workplace culture. Remember, living, leading, and working in freedom rather than fear in order to unleash your full potential does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We have over 20 years of experience working all over the world with top leaders and brands from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies, helping them achieve results with our proven methods and courses. To see if we can help you do the same, head on over to worldblue.com slash call and book a call with our team now. I'm Tracy Fenton, and I can't wait to connect with you soon.